Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you today as our God. And we thank you for your word that you are given, given to us uh, to reveal your character and will to those who call on the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have placed within us the Holy Spirit. Um, may that Holy Spirit open our uh, hearts and minds today that we might receive your word. We ask all this in your name. chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Maestro, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus was not permitting them. And passing by Mystra, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course through Samothrace, and on the day following, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, so last week, we were, uh, we finished up where, where Paul and Barnabas kind of headed off in different directions. Um, I think we have a, have a map up here on the slide. Yeah. So uh, that kind of dotted line represents where the where the one is, where like Barnabas went with John Mark. They went west towards Cyprus. Paul and um, Silas went up kind of northwest to Derby and Lystra, and then they're going to end up all the way over in Philippi in our passage today. Um, so what we see happening today is that um, Paul is following the Spirit. 
as he's traveling from place to place, it's not just him and Silas kind of getting together deciding where they're going to go and where they're going to minister. They are, they are seeking to follow the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we're going to see that kind of woven throughout the passage as we go through it. But first, we're going to talk about what happens at Lystra and Derby. So Paul ends up back there. He's been there before. That's where he kind of got ran out of town. Um, and as he's there, he meets a guy named, named Timothy. Um, he says, Luke says he was the son of a Jewish woman, but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the believers at Lystra and Iconium. Iconium is 18 miles away from uh, Lystra. So, so Timothy is, is well known, he has a good reputation, both where he lives and in kind of the next community over. Um, and, and Timothy and his mom probably would have been converts from, from Paul and Barnabas' first journey kind of through there. They would believe the gospel, and so Timothy is kind of a young guy in the faith that has a good reputation. But look down in verse 3. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So this, this event should cause some questions in your mind, right? In our passage last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch, and these guys showed up from Judea, and they started teaching, if you want to follow Jesus, you must get circumcised. And Luke told us that like Paul and Barnabas get into a, a, a pretty big fight with these guys. They get into a debate, and it ends up going all the way to Jerusalem so that the church as a whole can make a decision about what happens when, when Gentiles receive the gospel. And what the church decided is that uh, they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the law. Uh, instead, there were these kind of four, four kind of stipulations, recommendations they put out. And Paul and Silas are traveling around to these churches to deliver that message. So Paul shows back up in Lystra to say, hey, you guys don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. And then he takes Timothy along with him, and he says, Timothy, you need to get circumcised. So that should, that should surprise us. In fact, listen to what Paul says elsewhere about this. In Galatians 5, 2 through 6, he says this, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There's also 1 Corinthians 7, 17-20, where he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So Timothy, right, when he was called, he wasn't circumcised. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that, that Titus, who's a later companion of Paul, uh, doesn't get circumcised. So we should ask, like, what is, what is, what is happening here? Why does Paul say, Timothy, you need to get circumcised? And he says to Titus, like, it, it doesn't matter. What's, what's, what's the difference? So I think the first thing we need to recognize is that Timothy's background is very important to the discussion here. So Luke told us that his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, right, you know that Jews were not supposed to marry Gentiles. It wasn't, wasn't supposed to happen. But it did happen. 
And when it happened, the children of the marriage were still seen as Jewish. So even though Timothy has a Greek dad and a Jewish mother, he is seen as a Jewish child. And in fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3.15 says that, that Timothy had been taught the, the, the scriptures from childhood. So he had grown up learning the law, learning the Old Testament. Um, and even though his father was a Greek, that's how he was brought up. But evidently, uh, his father didn't allow him to be circumcised. So, so Timothy is in, a, is in a different cultural situation than Titus was. Timothy is viewed as a Jew uh, who was not circumcised, rather than Titus, who was a Gentile who wasn't circumcised. The second thing we need to see here is the purpose of Timothy's circumcision. So the guys that came into Antioch that were, that were teaching false gospels and said you have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus, like they were teaching legalism. They were saying salvation equals Jesus plus something else, in this case, circumcision. Um, but I don't think that that's what's happening here. There's, there's two key phrases we need to see. The first is what we already talked about in verse 2. It said, Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So these people in the church, that the church, too, the, the men and women in the church, they viewed Timothy highly. He had a good reputation both in Lystra and in Iconium, 18 miles away. So the people inside the church liked Timothy. He was well respected. Now look at verse 3 again. Says he, that's Paul, took him and circumcised him, that's Timothy, because of the Jews who were in those places. So we gotta see that shift that happens from, from verse 2, where it's brothers, to verse 3, where it's the Jews. Almost exclusively in the book of Acts, when the phrase the Jews is used, it's talking about non Christians, it's talking about those outside of the church. And so this is not people inside the church saying, hey, if you want to stay in the church or if you want to get in the church, then you must do this thing. Instead, it's people outside the church that Paul is considering. Right? This, is, this is Paul telling Timothy, hey, we're about to be ministering among a whole lot of Jewish people, preaching the gospel in all these areas. And all these people know that your father is a Greek. They know that you're uncircumcised. Uh, and so would you consider doing this to kind of remove obstacles to the spread of the gospel. I. Howard Marshall says that this is not circumcision as a means of salvation, which is what Paul is arguing against. Instead, circumcision is a legal act to remove stigma from Timothy. So this would be like if, if, if somebody had a tattoo, and uh, we said, hey, in order to join our church, in order to be a Christian, you've got to get your tattoo removed. Anybody on board with that? No, right? That, that, that would be bad. That would be legalism. That would be saying in order to, to be a Christian, in order to be considered a believer, you have to, have to follow Jesus and do something else, in this case, remove your tattoos. But what if that person were going to go overseas and they were going to serve and minister in a place where tattoos were, were seen as a very, very bad thing? Right? Maybe we would say, hey, you should consider getting that removed, or you should definitely at least cover it up when you're in that place. Right? It's not about uh, salvation, it's about removing a stigma, it's about removing a barrier to the gospel. That, that's what is happening here, and Timothy, uh, we don't know how old he is at this point, uh, he's old enough probably to not want to get circumcised, uh, but he, he does it, and he goes along and travels with Paul. And notice that, that when this happens, how, how the mission multiplies, right? We saw that last week where, where Paul and Barnabas split ways. Barnabas took uh, John Mark along with him. Paul took Silas along with him. And so now there's four people out there instead of two people. And now Paul takes along Timothy. So he's got Silas with him, who's like a co-worker, 
a fellow laborer, and now he's got Timothy, who's younger, who's a next-generation leader, that he's showing how to do the work of the ministry. Uh, so he's uh, taking someone along with him who will take the reins when he's gone. As they go through all the cities, they're, they're delivering this letter from the church of Jerusalem. And, and Luke says that while that happens, uh, they're strengthening the churches in their faith, and the church is growing daily. More and more people are embracing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. They're, they're coming into the church. Um, and look at what happens in the next section. So in 6, six through 10, it says... And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, including that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the first thing, kind of a side note, notice that in, in verses, uh, let's see, 6, 7, and 8, it's, it's they. They did this, they did that, they went there, they went here. But in verse 10, there's a shift. We. We sought to go into Macedonia. What, what's happening here is we, we talked about this, you know, Many months ago when we started the book of Acts, and I'm sure all of you remember it exactly, that there are these we sections in the, God, or in the book of Acts where, where Luke isn't just a writer, but he's a participant. He's along the journey with them. And so we see that the kind of tense change between like they did all these things to we did these things. Luke is with them for this part of the journey. Now, back on track, what, what matters here, like that's just kind of a neat thing, right? Luke is with them. He's, he's witnessing these things for himself. Um, but what we need to see in this passage is that Paul wanted to go to Asia, but he's forbidden by the Spirit. He wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Christ did not allow it. Instead, they went to Troas, and while he's there, he has this vision of this guy in Macedonia saying, Hey, come over and help us. Um, and what we're seeing here is that Paul and his team are being led by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not like they were, you know, in Antioch before they went out and they, they drew up this itinerary and they're like, this is all the places we're going to go. And like, that's the plan and we're going to stick to it and nothing's going to change. Right? Paul goes out under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Him and Barnabas were originally set apart for missions because of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And now we see them on the journey following the lead of the Holy Spirit. They're in tune with the Spirit. They tried going other places, but all along the way, the Spirit was leading them toward Macedonia. And it's finally confirmed through this vision that Paul has at night. And so we see in that how to follow the Holy Spirit. And so the question that we should have is how do we follow the Spirit like this? I mean, the answer is, right, just to have dreams at night, and it'll tell us what to do. But, but really, right, if we've trusted in Christ for salvation, if, if we're His, if, if we're in Him, then His Spirit is, is in us. So what does it look like for us to be led by him? And so we're going to go to a couple different places in Scripture to see kind of what, what we do. So the first one is, is John 14 and 16. I'm not going to read these chapters this morning, but instead I would encourage you to spend some time looking at them either later today or this week to, to see as Jesus is describing to the disciples who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does uh, and, and learn it for yourself. But there are these five things that we see in these chapters. The first is that the Holy Spirit will help us remember what Jesus says. That's from John 14, 26. 
Second is the Holy Spirit convicts sin. That's John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit leads us in righteousness. Also John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit guides us to the truth. John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit glorifies and points to Jesus. That's John 16, 14. So if you remember or know what Jesus did or said ever, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit does for you, to enable you, to help you, to assist you, uh, to remember who Jesus is and what he did. If you ever experience conviction of sin, which is probably some of us, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. If you've ever, uh, you know, feel led to do what God calls you to do, to live the kind of life that he calls you to live, that's the Holy Spirit leading you into righteousness. If you care about the truth, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. If you appreciate Jesus and grow in affection for who he is and what he's done for you, that's the Spirit doing what the Spirit does in pointing us to Jesus. So in these moments, when those things happen for us, we should recognize that what's taking place is the Spirit leading us, and hopefully in most cases, us following. These are specific things the Scripture says the Spirit does. We also see uh, some some guidance in Galatians 5. So I'm going to read Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I want to start this passage with, with kind of Paul's kind of summary exhortation at the end. In verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with him. So this is, a, this is an if-then statement. If, if one thing is true, then another thing should, should follow from that, should, should flow out of that. So the if part, if we live by the Spirit... Living by the Spirit means that, that we live the life that the Spirit has, has given us. Right? We, we live life, we have life, eternal life, spiritual life because of the Spirit. So we, we might live by the Spirit, we might not. Like, if, if we've trusted in Christ, then we have the Spirit in us. Uh, we're indwelt by Him, we're empowered by Him, we're transformed by Him. If we have the Spirit, then the second part of this should be something that we do. So I think Paul is saying, right, if you have spiritual life, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, uh, if you've trusted in Christ and are in Jesus, if that's true, uh, then you should keep in step with the Spirit. So that means... That if we don't have the Spirit, if we don't live by the Spirit, if we haven't trusted in Christ for salvation, then the rest of this passage doesn't apply to us. Right? Because without Jesus, without His Spirit in us, 
We can't do any of this. I mean, we can do the works of the flesh. But we can't produce the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit isn't in us to produce that fruit. So if that's you, I would encourage you to talk to somebody today about what it means to trust in Jesus. For those of you who do live by the Spirit, then what Paul says in the second half of this applies to us. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to live out the life that's, that's in us. The word here that Paul uses to talk about to, to keep in step with the Spirit, it's, it's like following a leader, right? Like marching along with him. And so it's not enough for us just to kind of passively have spiritual life in us. We have to actively follow. We have to actively keep in step with him. So how do we do this, right? If, if, if I have spiritual life in me and you have spiritual life in you, how do we, how do we get it out? How do, we, how do we walk with the Spirit? How do we keep in step with Him? So jump back to verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul's point here is if you want to walk with the Spirit, don't give in to the flesh. Uh, because if you give in to the desires of the flesh, you are not in step with the Spirit. That's one way we get out of step with Him, is by giving in to the flesh. Why? Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you want to keep in step with the Spirit, and you keep giving in to the flesh, that's why you're getting out of step with Him, right? Because these two things are opposed to each other. But if you're led by the Spirit, Paul says, you're not under the law. Listen to this quote from, from Tom Schreiner, which explains what Paul's talking about here. He says, Those who are directed by the Spirit are no longer under the law, and therefore they no longer live in the old era of redemptive history under the reign of sin. Freedom from the law does not, according to Paul, mean freedom to sin. It means freedom from sin. So if, if, if you, as a person who's, who's trying to live out the Christian life, feel like you're under obligation to sin. I feel like you're enslaved to its power. I feel like you can't get out from underneath it. It might be because the Spirit isn't in you. It might be because you actually aren't free from sin. It might be because you're not in Jesus. Because if the Spirit is in you, Paul says, you're not under the law of sin. You're, you're free from its enslaving power. Living in step with the Spirit means that we don't give in to the flesh. And he gives us a list of what that looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So four of these deal with sexual sin. Sexual immorality is kind of a general term for, for sexual behavior that's outside the biblical norms. Uh, impurity focuses on how it affects us. Sensuality is kind of like a life of license and throwing off restraint. And then orgies is kind of like all of that to an extreme. Right? If, if, if we are drawn towards sexual sin, we're not in step with the Spirit. Right? If, we, if we give in to sexual sin, that's us walking away from the Spirit and going our own way, giving in to the desires of the flesh. Idolatry is when we worship someone other than God. It's when we take a, a good thing and elevate it to a God-like level. Right? We saw in John where a primary work of the Holy Spirit is, is causing us to worship and glorify Jesus. That's where the Spirit wants to take us. And so when we turn away from Jesus and turn towards idols, we are getting out of step with the Spirit. Sorcery is probably not a common struggle for most of us. 
But one of the reasons why sorcery was, was opposed so much in the Old Testament is because it was a primary way people gave up trusting God and turned to someone else to try to con- control or change their circumstances. And so, like, we might not go to sorcerers, but maybe we go to ourselves. Maybe we try to manipulate things. Maybe we try to control things in some other way. And when we're doing that, we're trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in someone else other than the Spirit. Enmity, strife, divisions, dissensions, and and rivalries kind of focus on unending uh, and unneeded conflict. Disunity is, is not the way of the Spirit. The Spirit is about creating unity, creating community amongst us. And so if we're, we're giving in to unending strife with others, we're not in step with the Spirit. Jealousy and envy is about seeing what other people have and being dis- discontent about what we do or don't have. It's looking at the gifts God has given someone else and saying, why don't I have those? And in it, it's because we want to be in control. Right? We want to decide who gets what. And really, we're mostly just concerned about ourselves. Fits of anger. This isn't, this isn't righteous anger here. Anger demeans the image of God in other people. Right? It's us putting ourselves over them, saying, my way matters, and your way doesn't matter, and you don't matter. That is not something the Spirit does. That's not a work that the Spirit produces in us. Fits of anger get us out of step with the Spirit. Drunkenness. Paul says in Ephesians, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? There's, a, there's a stark contrast there. Right? Drunkenness is sinful, not just because the Bible says it is, not just because God says it is, but because when we are drunk, we are being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. We're being controlled by a substance instead of him. So it's impossible to give in to drunkenness and be in step with the Spirit. Drunkenness is a way we intentionally walk away from the path the Spirit has for us. Paul ends it with, and things like these. Right? That's, that's for us, Right? To save us from going like, all right, I've got, I've got all of these things under control, which we probably don't. But maybe we think that, and then he's like, well, anything that fits in this category, any time we're giving into the flesh, this is, this is a, a, a good start, but the list isn't exhaustive, right? There are lots of ways. We are, we are very creative and imaginative people, and we can come up with many ways to walk away from the Spirit in our lives. When we do these things, when we sow to our flesh, when we give in to the desires of the flesh, we are not walking in step with the Spirit. He gives us the positive list in verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we're loving, when we're joyful, when we promote and make peace, when we are patient, kind, good, faithful, self-controlled, it's because the Spirit is bearing fruit in our life. And notice that all of that is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits, it's fruit, and then we get that content. When we're any of those things, when we're not the bad things, it's not because we're awesome. It's not because we have it together. It's because the Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives. When we live these out, it's, it's us giving expression to the Spirit's work within us. My point in going to Galatians 5 is because I think we, we often want to follow the Spirit's lead in, in the big decisions. 
right? Should I take this job or that job? I need help in this relationship. Should I marry this person or this other person? We want to follow the spirit there. Should I go to to Asia or Bithynia or Macedonia? Which one of these should I choose? And we want it to follow him in the big things. But the reality is, is that us keeping in step with the spirit, us following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it's not just about the big decisions, right? It's about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tiny little insignificant decisions we make all day long. Right, first thing in the morning when I wake up and my kids come in and they want breakfast, am I going to lead out with frustration and fits of anger? Or am I going to be gentle and kind? Is the Spirit going to work through me? When you're alone and you think about something that you shouldn't, are you going to give in to sexual immorality? Or are you going to be self-controlled and faithful to who God wants you to be? When you see somebody else's success, are you going to joyfully, happily celebrate the work of the Spirit in their life? Or are you going to give in to jealousy because of how he's not working in yours? Right? All the time, we're making choices that, that keep us in step with him. We're, we're forming habits. We're creating rhythms where we either stay closer to the Spirit or move further away from him. This week... As Paul says in Ephesians, let's pay careful attention to how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Let's keep in step with him. Don't give in to the desires of the flesh, but instead bear fruit of the spirit within you. In the last section here, they make it to Macedonia. And when they're there, they, they go to a place outside the gate where they thought there was a, the place of prayer. Uh, presumably, there's not a synagogue here. And so they, they kind of like change things up. Uh, and they spoke to some of the women that are gathered. And one of those women was, was Lydia, who, you know, was a seller of purple goods from Thyatira. The region was kind of known for that. Um, and she's a worshiper of God, but she doesn't yet know who Jesus is. And so Paul preaches the gospel. And Luke tells us the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So the Spirit is guiding Paul as he's traveling to Macedonia. And then once he's there, the Spirit is working in Lydia so that she can hear and understand and know and believe the gospel. Luke says that afterwards she's baptized, her and her whole household. So the question here is, is this babies being baptized? Right? The whole household. Personally, I don't think so. I think that what we see in the New Testament is the pattern is that, that faith always precedes baptism. People believe the gospel like Lydia, and then they get baptized. And so I would say here that, that anyone that got baptized in her household would have been people that had faith in the gospel, and then they were baptized. But the only information we get is that she is baptized with her household. And so I don't want to push it much further than what it says. Immediately after faith in the gospel and getting baptized, she shows them hospitality. She invites them in. She welcomes other people as Christ has welcomed her. And, and I would assume then that, that Lydia becomes a major part of how the church in Philippi grows going forward. Next week, uh, Matt's going to take us through the rest of this passage as we see how their ministry uh, continues in Philippi. Things get a little exciting. Uh, but today, we need to see the Holy Spirit guiding their mission in the book of Acts. Right? Even though, though Paul and Barnabas split, uh, the mission continues to go forth. The gospel continues to spread. Uh, it's multiplied as Timothy and then Luke join on with them. Uh, now the gospel is in modern day Europe. And the good news for us is that the Holy Spirit is still very active in the life of the church. Right? He's still very active in our lives. We are on a missionary journey of our own. 
in our, in our homes, in our relationships, in our jobs, in the community. And so let's pay attention to where the Spirit is leading us and where the Spirit is leading us away from. Right? Because the Spirit wants to spread the gospel and multiply the mission through us also. So let's be faithful to, to follow and trust that the Spirit is going to open hearts and cause people to pay attention to us like he did for Paul. And be reminded, right? Paul didn't get it perfect in this passage. Right? He, he didn't make a beeline for Macedonia from Antioch. He tried to go somewhere else, and the Spirit redirected him. He tried to go somewhere else next, and the Spirit redirected him. And then finally, the Spirit took him to Macedonia. Right? The Spirit didn't leave him. The Spirit didn't like blow up and be like, Paul, what are you doing trying to go to Asia? You're supposed to be going to Macedonia. The Spirit guided him along the way. The Spirit graciously kept interacting with Paul to bring him to where he wanted him to be. It's the same for us too. You know, I, I remember as a kid, I don't know if it was in youth group on Sunday mornings or what, but, but hearing the like, you know, if you, if you reject the Spirit, if you get convicted and you, you know, just keep giving into sin, that like the Spirit will just stop talking to you. Just cut you off. And then you're done. You have no guidance on your own. The only thing you have left is the flesh. I don't, I don't feel like we see that in the New Testament. No, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Never, never, never. And it's the spirit of Christ in us. And so don't think like, oh, you know, I, I give into the flesh and so I'm just a lost cause. Like, stop giving into the flesh. <laughs> but the spirit is still with you. The spirit is still in you. The spirit is still drawing you deeper into relationship with Jesus. The spirit is still trying to produce the fruit of the spirit in you. So let him. Right? Walk out your salvation. Keep in step with him. Right? And know that he's still speaking to you. Even in our darkest moments, the Spirit, if we're in Christ, is still trying to do what the Spirit does, which is bring us back to Jesus. So let's pray, and then Daniel will come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Jesus, I thank you that you, you sent your spirit. And that you promised to be with us always. You promised to never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that even when we get out of step, even when we walk away, even when we give in to the desires of the flesh, that your spirit stays. And that you bring us back to yourself. I pray this week that, that you would help us to be faithful, to be self-controlled, to be kind and gentle and loving and joyful and patient. That your spirit in us would produce his fruit. And that we would not give in to the desires of the flesh. But instead, that your spirit would, would draw us closer to you. 
would remind us of what's true, would remind us of, of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. We pray that like Paul, you would lead us to those whose, whose hearts you've opened, to those who you've made attentive to the good news of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful even when we're not. It's in your name we pray. Amen.